podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. When you advance science, you advance society. The American Association for the Advancement of Science is the leading voice for science professionals and advocates, supporting research, education, and outreach. Join us. Click the ad or visit AAAS.org. It's got to 2-2 and we've still got more than half an hour to go. And here's Ozil. Lacazette. Ozil! Yo! This is a Baby, welcome to the party. Uh, I'm off the Myers in the lead. That's why I'm over retarded. That's why I'm over retarded. Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around it. Baby, welcome to the party. Hit some of that. Give me lit. Give me lit. Got no money. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Touchy Gooners podcast. Um, your boy Lewis, uh, he had prior some prior engagements today, so I've stepped in um, as the host for this week's episode. Um, got a couple of guys with me. Um, we've got Dan and Dr. Leroy, and then also a special guest uh, straight from the headquarters of Football London, uh, James Benj. Uh, how are you guys doing? All good, man. Very well. Uh, and before we get into stuff, um, let me just do a quick bit of housekeeping. Um, so obviously, shout out to all the patrons um, who have all signed up for that. We're, we're showing you big love and big appreciation for, for doing that. We've got lots more um, patron content, exclusive content coming for you guys. So big up you guys. Um, shout out to all the people who uh, interact with us on the Discord. Um, loving the conversations there. Um, all the people that tune into the Discord live. Um, big, big love. Obviously, it's the inter international break at the moment. So uh, not much going on uh, in terms of news. But obviously, we love the daily chat that we have with you guys on there. Um, if you haven't signed up to the YouTube, um, please make sure that you do go up there and subscribe. There'll be lots of visual content coming out with the main pod and this pod uh, in the near future. So keep a lookout for that. Um, and I think uh, this week we've just launched a new Touchy Gooners Instagram. So go out and show us some love on that um, as well. So if you have been liking what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, then make sure that you do share it with your friends um, and let them know that, you know, this is the place to be for, for that Arsenal content. Um, yeah, so now that housekeeping's out of the way, we can get into the into the nitty gritty. So, um, James, thank you very much for coming on. It's a real pleasure to have you um, on 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 this week's uh, show. 
Um, so in the past week, there has been some mad, mad Arsenal news, some revelations, you know, both uh, positively and negatively, I guess, in the world of transfers. Um, so I guess our, our first question probably to you would be, how have you found, um, you know, sort of the, this transfer window and how, how did you find the deadline day from, from your perspective, I say? This transfer window, I feel, has been a little bit easier to follow than um, past ones because I get the sense that Arsenal just knew what they were doing a little bit more. Um, you know, you had the Gabriel stuff that feels like a lifetime ago, but we were pretty aware early on that Gabriel was their number one target. They negotiated quite quickly and, and got the deal through, um, did great work there. Similarly with Danny Ceballos and William, we knew before the season was even over that those two were on the list. Um, and then there's been the Thomas Partey, Hussein Awa thing, which has been a good old-fashioned Arsenal transfer saga. Um, it was The challenge is always, we don't really know where the money's coming from. Arsenal's finances have been so tight. And look, in the end, Stan Kroenke had to offer his support for getting this Partey deal across the line because Arsenal needed some quality reinforcements in midfield. I have to say that the morning when I woke up on deadline day, I really didn't. I thought there would be a midfielder coming because Torreira and Guendouzi were going. Again, something we knew for a while. So I was pretty certain there would be a midfielder coming. And you'd heard talk about um, Bubakari Samare, um, even that they'd kind of raised the issue of Diawara at Roma again. But neither of them were entirely convincing. So you sort of knew there was something you didn't know. Um, and then a couple of texts early on in the day about Partey. Um, but I never saw that one coming. I didn't see that coming that day until right at the, at the very last minute. Although, you know, right at midday when the news starts breaking and we hear that it's on. Um, and then it's just absolutely thrilling. I think particularly, you just knew it was going to happen, but it was going to be close. It was going to be uh, the sort of deal that, you know, if they, if they still had fans at the Emirates, it would have been an Ozil-style uh, Sky Sports News reporters in front of hundreds of fans moment, I think, because it was, it was really invigorating. I mean, we can debate whether he's the right player, but it's, it is exciting. You shouldn't get carried away with transfers, but you do. At times like that, the thrill of the chase, the thrill of medicals and worrying about whether he's flying to Turkey or London. He did fly to London. When wondering about which one of those it is, it suddenly feels like the most important thing in the world. I loved it. I loved it. It was really invigorating deadline day. Great stuff. And uh, Leroy, I'll go to you mm. as well. How did you find that like Arsenal sort of manoeuvred this window? And, you know, did you see that deal coming in the end? Because I know we had a few chats um, in the group chat about, sure. you know, doing doing polls around there. Are we going to get one? Are we going to get both? Are we going to get none? That kind of thing. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously people know my thoughts. I just didn't think we had the cash. I really didn't think we had the cash to do the release calls up front. Atletico Madrid have a history of making people pay the release clause. They, they make people pay the release clause for most of their players that they don't really want to sell, City with Rodri, etc. So I thought, mm, they're not going to negotiate. So we, we learned very quickly they didn't want to negotiate, even though they wanted Torreira. So I thought, right, that's not going to happen. We're going to get a bud. And you know I've said, 
I think we're going to get a budget option of a party. I thought we were going to get a Samare, we were going to get a Diawara or someone like that because you can pay in instalments and it'll be a bit cheaper. The hour thing, I thought we could possibly get our, I was convinced after we had a long debate going through the accounts, going through the numbers with a fine tooth comb <laughs> after an hour in the group chat. And I thought, right, it is doable if we do it in instalments. So I thought that could possibly happen. I definitely didn't think we would get both. Um, so it was a little bit of a shock to me. So overall, I think Arsenal have manoeuvred the window relatively well. I think the sacking of San Leahy in the middle of the window was a bit baffling because if you're sacking your chief dealmaker right in the middle when you're trying to make deals, I think Edu must have been Edu must have had a heart attack throughout <laughs> throughout the window because that that must have been a lot of pressure on his head. Um, so we obviously we got our deals over the line, and Raul did a lot of the grunt work with the Ceballos deal, the William deal, uh, the Gabriel deal, and he basically wrapped that up. So um, it was all on um, Edu's head for the the other deals, and obviously we probably needed backup. So he's probably doing sort of deals in the background at the same time, just in case he's fell through. So yeah, overall, um, we had that day before, or was it day before the deadline or the one when all the hour news that, it, that it, I mean, I lost my head. I can't lie to you. I lost my head. I, I, I was spinning. I mean, I was sitting on my sofa. We're gone. Yeah. For I, sure. I was gone. I was sitting on my sofa thinking, where's the ice cream? I was depressed, but eventually I'm happy. I think overall, looking at the window, looking at the current pandemic, looking at the climate that we're in financially, I think they've navigated the window very well. And um, we have, I mean, we do criticise Kroenke a lot. I think we need to praise him. If he has put his hand in his pocket to, to fund this deal and get it over the line, then we have to give credit where credit's due. That's a massive show of intent. That's a massive backing of Arteta. So, yeah, good, it's good stuff. I mean, I'm not sure, because James, you mentioned he definitely put his hand in his pocket. Is that, do you know any details around that? So, so I couldn't confirm that he put his hand in his pocket yeah. and know that the deal went through him and was greenlit by him. Uh, and from what I know, from what I understand, um, he did help with the financing. I don't know if that's the same as putting the cash up. Sure. Okay, it might be the restructuring of the stadium debt. So open. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the restructuring of the stadium debt helped, had already helped, but there was additional work uh, that he did in the last few days um he, he and KSE did to to help out with with getting that deal across the line because yeah. it was just as you say it was just not one that, that Arsenal could responsibly do in the in the window uh, to just pay that 45 million in cash mm. very few teams could really do that yeah it's a lot of money and mm. obviously the, the associated costs with the agent fee mm. the big player big wages and they usually factor first year wages into the fee and stuff like that so mm. yeah well, felt, I think we've done very well I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic like, I'm super happy yeah. and, and German Dan um, do you have anything to, to add to that? Yeah I think um, I was a bit more optimistic than Leroy regarding Partey I think um, I think the, my, my optimism was mainly coming from knowing that they tracked him for so long and we really tried to do him last year. So given the fact, so between Awa and Partey, I always kind of felt Partey will probably happen. Awa, there's a lot of complications, I believe. Even though you can pay in installments that fee, I think um, negotiating with Aulas is, um, is not easy. Um, and um, he plays a lot of games. And then we also found out retrospectively that um, Awa's brother was not an easy person to negotiate with. So I felt... Partey deal is very straightforward. It's just the cash. If the cash is there, we can do it. And then um, this is where my optimism kind of came from, knowing that they tracked him for so long. Then we finished eighth. Um, Mateta has finished the season very strongly. 
and um, ultimately to, in order to kind of facilitate and really accentuate that they want to push this rebuild at Arsenal, they will have to set, they have to, they have to do something um, to, to set a light really. And um, I was pretty confident that one of the two will come. Um, I said openly, I thought both would come. Um, but I was really confident at least one would come because they, they had to make a sign and um, they did in the end. So I'm really happy about that. Um, so I think, as you mentioned, the refinancing could have done could have been done for the for the state for the stadium debt refinancing that um, or maybe for other means. I'm not a finance person, so I don't quite know. But um, I did see that Arsenal um, wrapped up quite a few partnerships um, during during the during the pandemic. Um, so I think it's two or three partnership deals that they that they acquired um, as official partners, as local partners, and that I get I get that there probably were um, millions um, exchanged here as well because. Being a partner of Arsenal is definitely not cheap. So, yeah. Mm, mm, good points, good points. Um, and I think, for me personally, I think some of the confidence that I had was um, generated from from certain accounts on Twitter. Um, you know, the, the, a, the AFC Bell, um, famously or infamously, however you want to put it, was uh, quite quietly confident. Well, not even quietly. Um, you know, he was very confident, tweeting with his chest, I would say. Um, whether it's a him or a her, we don't know. Um, but he was definitely uh, tweeting with their chest that, you know, that Partey deal was happening um, throughout the summer, even from before the transfer window actually had actually uh, opened. And, and James, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on sort of, I don't know, the AFC bell, but then wider than that, some of these other sort of Twitter ITK accounts that seem to pop up um, uh, every single uh, transfer window with uh, news of apparently every deal that the club is doing. You know, um, so what, what, what's your thoughts on, on, on the Bell and, and some of these accounts more widely? Well, on the Bell, I mean, first of all, you do have to take your hat off. Credit to hit, to the person that ran the account. Um, you know, and as you say, it's tweeting with your chest. They are, you know, I've, my favourite was one when they tweeted, that if this happens, we don't want any praise. We don't want any thanks because we knew it was going to happen. You don't need to tell us. I just just admire the the confidence and I mean you know I don't know I don't know where all that information has come from obviously a lot of it turned out to be accurate whether you know it was all accurate at the time whether I think it's pretty clearly a representation of people close to Partey that need to that wanted him to go to Arsenal and I think that you could you could suspect that's where the information came from I don't know um I think with a lot of a lot of ITK accounts, my views generally depends on whether or not people are doing things like putting their own name to it. Like you guys out here on a pod, whether it's your opinion, whether it's any, you know, bits and pieces of info you get, when you put your real name to something, I kind of generally come to the conclusion, well, you know, this is something that you're willing to take a bit of a risk with, you know, you know, it could bite you, bite, come back and bite you if it's wrong. Um, and, you know, there's some degree of, risk for you even if it's just the risk of looking like an idiot which um is a risk we all take when we write about transfers and the like um otherwise i just don't really i just kind of think you can let it be and i just don't bother because mm. you know be it a, a bell or a gerbil and both got <laughs> so well, um in the end they could have if they'd been wrong they could just have disappeared away and reappeared as their Arsenal hamster or whatever. And we would be none, you know, we'd kind of be none the wiser and there's no real, you're not required to, to take responsibility for it. You know, I've, um, 
I've had transfer stories that I've been told in good faith, or maybe I've put faith in the wrong people and they've been wrong. You know, I, I still can't look up the word Ryan Fraser on Twitter. Um, but I, you know, I, I, in the end, I have to kind of live, I have to own the consequences of that. And um, it affects my, among some Arsenal fans, it, you know, the people that go, well, well, he got Ryan Fraser wrong. So he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and I kind of think that's why with the ITK accounts, I'm just a bit like, well, what is at risk for these people here? Not much. So I, I tend not to put much, but it's, it is also incredible fun. Like, you know, I try and pretend like we all, all of us journalists try and pretend like we're above it, but we're all looking at these accounts. I'm sorry. I, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily believe most of the stuff we see in there, but it's part of the, it's part of the experience. And there are times when that experience is like the worst part of football, you know, mm-hmm. all this, everyone overreacting to everything everything being blown out of all proportion i mean i've I heard, i've heard about 100 people that arsenal agree personal terms with and we all know now that saying that arsenal can agree personal terms with a player is just irrelevant because it's always the first thing that's agreed yeah it's, I, I, it's great fun i've got a question here for you because um obviously as a fan the way the way we consume the transfer news is might be different to the way you consume it for example me um i follow a few itk accounts that I believe maybe are in the known for real um I've got the tweet notifications on uh, multiple Arsenal accounts, um, AFC stuff, Arsenic, um, the Z, ZR, whatever his name is, guy, um, Osman Laguna. I've got all of them and the notifications on. But it'd be interesting to kind of um, understand how, how you um, tr- um, consume transfer news. And if you stumble across something maybe that one of the in the knowns has posted, are you then going to verify this or what, what is your process here? I mean, sir, I, I keep an eye on. Um, AFC stuff. Arsenic is a great guy. Um, I, 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 you know, you you kind of aware of it. I can't imagine. I can't believe you've got notifications set up on all of those because your phone must be melting. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> the game. <laughs> I think obviously there are there are sort of two things you do. You kind of separately are trying to work on your own stories and talking to people that you know and obviously you know as we discussed before the pod a lot of those contacts are more uk based um but you know you develop also the ones you've developed um that have been at arsenal for much longer you know so it's a bit easier for us to get outgoing stuff because you know i know at least i know how to get in touch with most uh, people close to most arsenal players whereas the incomings are, are a bit more difficult you know someone like uh, Awa, obviously, all the, the you know, the, no no one who covers Arsenal really, or very few people that cover Arsenal and are well connected at Arsenal are also well connected at Leon. You know, I think um, Julian Laurent might be the exception for that specific case, but you know what I mean. Like when there's a, a player like that, a lot of the time we are chasing what comes out of France or you know first because they've just got those inbuilt relationships with the players, with the selling club. And it's very rare that this, um, or, you know, that, that's where this info often comes from. So I think what, what I always do and what I'd encourage fans to do as well is just look back at these sources and where the information is being reported. If it's in, you know, if it's an hour story and it's in the keep or it's in another, a local publication in particular, obviously. Uh, RMC. It's quite good. Yeah. RMC as well. Then you know, you don't know it's true, but you at least know that it's kind of gone through proper journalistic rigour. 
uh, and I, I would I'd hope kind of you know the other way around that when it's a, a story to do with an Arsenal player that you guys know the, the journalists to follow um, and you know if it's coming from them that's when you know my ears prick up as a journalist as well and I go okay there's obviously something in this because you know these are people that know what they're talking about so so let's go and find out and sometimes we all make mistakes sometimes things aren't aren't true or you know sometimes people particularly at this time of year people put out a version of stories that paints themselves in the best possible light and you've kind of got to cut through that and um also just to try and understand the general progress of things um i remember there was a little bit of twitter or people attempted to create twitter beef between me and others um, about Kalasanak when that um, deal was being reported as happening in Germany. Well, you know, our end of it was that the talks were happening, but the deal was not done. Yeah. Um, and hey, we turned out right. <laughs> but it's not a competition. Um, <laughs> we're, we're kind of all saying the same thing. We're sort yeah. of saying, look, there's conversations going on here between Arsenal and Leverkusen. They're looking to move on Kalasanak. And, you know, that is the sort of general story. And then, yeah. you know, there, there are, it, it, people get, because people get information from different sources, that forms uh, stories in different ways. And I just sort of say, in terms of trying to get to the heart of transfers, follow the people that you know, know what they're writing about and just read widely. And the truth will probably end up being somewhere in the middle of all these diverging stories, it's invariably the case, um, but it's, it's hard. It's, it's draining and it's a 24-hour job at the moment because you're chasing the national press. And it, it doesn't stop, does it? And I've got a bit of a follow-up question here because um, so I always envision that when you put out the story, this is on information that you've received or hypothetically, if you put out stories on information you've received, then you probably double-check this information and you have to type this up. So in terms of timelines, how, how long does it usually take to push out a story? Because things are happening in real life, right? So we mm. might receive the story, but actually the negotiations are now further down the line because you received this story like two days ago and they might have already accepted it. It's just not been um, shared with anyone. Um, yeah. So it's quite interesting to kind of find out how long, what the timelines are, how long it takes to push stuff out. With transfers, you do have to be quite quick. Um, and you will in, I'll endeavour to go to the club. It depends, it depends on what you're kind of expecting to get back from other people you talk to. There are kind of times when I just, um, well, you know, Actually, it's very rare that I wouldn't sort of say to people I know um, at Arsenal, this is what I'm hearing from elsewhere. What's your view on it? Um, I, I, I can't think of many examples of when I do that, but you, you do hit on a really good point that it, you have to be, you have to move quick with these things. Um, I wrote a piece, uh, say it was in, it was right at the start of September. I just had three or four days holiday and was on that holiday and was told um, PSG, Juventus and Bayern Munich are looking at Hector Bellerin and I got that information and said that's great I can't be bothered to file I'm on holiday uh, I'll come back in three four days and write it then came uh, came in wrote it and was then told oh yeah by the way PSG are just about to put a bid in so your story is about to go out of date incredibly quickly uh, which it did um, so these are really fast moving things, um, really fast. They're stories that can kind of jump ahead like three or four steps and then could just end up stuck for months. I mean, the Partey story is the perfect example of that where 
you saw these constant updates in the press, but really I think for, as I understand it, and there might be people who have different versions of this, but there were two sort of sets of conversations with Atletico Madrid, one quite early in the window where Arsenal said, we'd be willing to offer you cash and players, uh, for instance, Guendouzi and Lacazette. And then one a little later on when they became aware of Atletico's interest in Torreira and they tried to tie the two together. But basically the two main bulks of talks were then, both times Atletico said, pay the release clause. So it all just kind of went quiet because what conversation is there to have? Um, equally, the internet demands daily updates on Thomas Partey. So you kind of quite often see... There's a discrepancy. <laughs> yeah, and there wasn't necessarily things to write every day. <laughs> um, but then you get to the last few hours of the window and... You know, I, I was trying to get updates every hour and, you know, texting people just going, if you had to put a percentage on how you've done the Parte deal is now, what percentage would you put on it? Mm. Just because everyone wants updates every hour, every minute. Mm. I mean, I was, you know, the medical and then two hours later, people were like, has the medical happened yet? Has he passed it? I was like, Probably me, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to know, everyone gets swept up in it. That's the demand nowadays. That's, that's the way we want to consume news, right, isn't it? We want it as soon as it has happened, really. So, um, Immediate. It's crazy. And I think as well, um, <clears throat> just I, I was similar to uh, Leroy. I was supposed to be away with my missus, um, like romantic weekend and whatnot. And then I see my phone buzzing. Um, uh, Julian Lawrence tweets out, uh, hours not happening, but we might get Georgina. I literally, I wanted to throw myself into the sea. Like I was like, nah, <laughs> this can't be, this can't be happening. You know, like what's, what's going on? And then it, it literally, like my mood was sour for the rest of the weekend. You know, so um, on that deal as well, I think um, it's coming out uh, from a, a few sources um, that it was Awa's brother had some unrealistic demands or unreasonable demands. Um, and that sort of caused Arsenal to sort of backtrack and take a step back and, and, and decide that it wasn't a deal worth um, pursuing. Do you have any sort of light to shed to shed on that? And, and, and whether do you think it's possible that Arsenal might go back in for him um, in January or next summer? On the brother, I don't know, honestly. Uh, what I do know is in terms of price tag, Arsenal never quite got there. Um, the, the second offer, which never came in, but was planned, was €40 million Euros with 10 in um, add-ons. I'm not sure all of those add-ons were what Leon would have considered very feasible. Um, you know, things like yeah, we will give you five million. This is me making up a number, but from what I was told, it was things like Arsenal would pay more money if they win the Premier League. Well, Leon are just going to sort of assume you're not paying that. Um, anyway, Leon wanted um, fifty plus ten, so it's only ten million euros, but that was a lot. And you know, you kind of got to, you know, you do have to factor in then agent fees, which I'm sure would not have been cheap. Um, I know, obviously, his brother does an awful lot of the the legwork there, even though he's re represented by Wasserman and, um, and the salary and all that. And I just, it, it didn't quite work. The, the numbers didn't, didn't quite work. Um, so I was told it was about the transfer fee, but equally, um, you know, it would be, it would have been a big agent fee, I'm sure. So um, that may go some way to explain. As for going back in for him, they, they want that, they want that second midfielder. They want that creative midfielder and, um, a lot of people said to me, and this is just me, my opinion, a lot of people said, oh, well, look, you didn't get him this summer. So it's not, our was not going to happen. 
because bigger teams will come in. I think that I would I would only buy that if Arsenal don't get back into the Champions League, which I think they will with Arteta at the helm. And then I'd look at it and I'd say Arsenal would would comfortably be big enough for Awa's ambitions. So he'll he, he'll be on the list. Um, they've followed Shaboshlai. I'm probably saying that name wrong. RB Leipzig for or RB Salzburg for years. Um, he's another name on that list. I think that they have been looking at him for a very long time. And someone like Partey, they followed for, for years as well. So don't rule out one of those two. Um, I don't think the Awa links are dead. I don't. I think they'd be willing to go back back to do business. And you know, one thing we know from Aulas is there is always a price at which he'll sell any player. Yeah. Is, is there indication? Sorry, is there indication that they go back in Jan, or is this more of a just summer summer thing? I don't. I don't see them going back in January. I've not asked the question, but just ask it, please. See <laughs> <laughs> if I can find anyone that will tell me it is Jan. Um, I don't think so. I mean, there's so much to be worked out between now and then, like COVID money. How much are Arsenal going to get from these pay-per-view streams? May if everyone buys a pay-per-view stream for every Arsenal game. Then maybe they can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna buy them, but you know what? Now you've said that. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, it'd be interesting because I, I, the only thing I think of is obviously we're seeing this news coming out of France right now where their um, TV rights company have not paid them or something along those lines. Um, and because they want to renegotiate. Uh, based on COVID, because um, they signed their record deal for like 750 million or something like that. So obviously that's going to put an additional strain on the French clubs. Now, Lyon were rumoured to be struggling financially anyway. Um, so if you've got Lyon struggling financially, they didn't make the sales they want. You think about their saleable assets, someone like Depay. Depay now is going to his last year of his contract, even in January, he can mm. sign a free contract. So his value is going to plummet. Um, the, they tried to sell their midfielder. What's his name? John Michael, John something. I'm not sure. He didn't want to go. John Lucas, isn't it? The Brazilian. Yeah, John Lucas, that's the one. He didn't want to go. How many saleable assets do they really have? Now, if you're looking at the, they were struggling for money and you're looking at the TV money now being a problem. Sorry, I'm being optimistic here, I know. But <laughs> that, he's their saleable asset. He's going to be the one that can raise some money. So, I, again, I don't see that deal being off. I, th- I think if Arsenal were to go back with a reasonable offer and really try and push for it, I, I can see it happening. The one thing that Arsenal, Arsenal will always kind of remind you, these are tough financial times. We've got to be responsible. But I remember talking early in the window about, um, with someone at Arsenal about kind of how they do business. And their view was partly that they didn't want to rush into doing things. I mean, even their Gabriel deal, that wasn't that early in the summer. And they didn't want to rush into doing things before they knew what the market was looking like. Because, yeah, they're going to be in a bad financial situation. But as you say, other teams could be in a worse financial system. They could be in under more pressure to sell. And, you know, Chelsea approving it this summer. Like, this is a good time to buy if you can, if you can get hold of the cash. Mm. I don't, I mean, I, we don't know where Arsenal will be in terms of fans, in terms of, Champions League qualification. If you know if Awa is going to put you over the edge there, then him, him and Partey, they get nearer to paying for themselves. I don't see it happening in January, but as you say, this market in particular is so unpredictable that I'm not in the business of ruling anything out at all. Yeah, indeed. Go on, go on, go on, go on. I've got a general question around um, how transfers are conducted because we kind of hear things through the grapevine. We kind of hear like rumours of fax machines not working um i mean 
I can't imagine they're doing it for fax machines anymore, but um, it'll be interesting to kind of know what are the parameters of transfer deals and, and how they happen. Because sometimes they take incredibly long, of course, um, this is based on negotiations, but sometimes they are incredibly fast. Um, so it'd be kind of good to understand how it works. We, I can imagine how a partnership deal or a sponsorship deal gets wrapped up, but how does a transfer work? I mean, obviously, it always dep- it always kind of vary on the transfer, but a general rule nowadays is the buying club, often through an intermediary, get in touch with intermediaries of the player uh, and sort of confirm that there is actual genuine interest there and sort of indicate to the player. And this is strictly speaking, this is not, is against the rules, but everyone does it. And it sort of makes sense because you don't want to waste time negotiating to buy a player who then turns around and says, no, you're all right, mate. Um, So you kind of, out, have get an out. The club would sort of say that the clubs would never converse. The club would get an outline of what the personal terms the player would want, and then the player would get a sense of what the buying club would be willing to pay. If you kind of feel like there's an agreement to be struck there, that's when you then get into negotiations with the club. So, um, as has been widely reported, Thomas Partey has been aware of Arsenal's interest for years, um, and Arsenal have been aware of what they'd have to pay him in personal terms. So, I mean that that side of it was was all good to go once I mean now obviously the lawyers were at Colney working really quick to draw up the contract in a formal way but it was all kind of ready to go um, once the the fee was agreed and then you kind of the negotiations with clubs can be torturous because quite often you put in your first offer you don't want to come straight back in with that second because then the selling club think we can you know that we're desperate they're desperate here and you know as as, as you guys said earlier there's so many you have to you you have to prepare for a deal falling apart. You have to be in talks with other players. Um, and you have to, you, sometimes you're telling them things that aren't always true. Um, like you're, they're your top target. Uh, and sometimes things like sometimes financial situations change. Um, you know, we go back to the pursuit of the winger last year. And I was told by very senior people at Arsenal, Arsenal can't afford Nicola Pepe. We just can't afford it. And then it happens because, because, other pe- people at the club have conversations and they go, well, we need to have Nicola Pepe. Um, we can debate that, but <laughs> it's, it's so fluid. Um, but then, yeah, as I say, it sort of almost starts now with buying club and player, then buying and selling club. And once that agreement's there, you're not too far off. It generally can come together quite quickly. Do you think that Pepe thing was a bluff, though? Do you think because it was a bit of an agenda? This is what, do you think sometimes clubs put something out because they want that out. And that's what they want the public to see. Because obviously the, the Pepe thing, it was a lot of money. There's a lot of competition around him. If, if you're trying to negotiate for other players at the same time and you, you're linked with this player who's going to be going for 80 million euros or whatever, clubs might think, hmm, okay, let's, let's buy up the prices. Do you think sometimes they sort of brief you on? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think anyone would... I think there's Why a, not clubs? Maybe agents. Yeah, you, well, you end up establishing, from a club perspective, you run the risk of establishing a really problematic relationship with people if they mm. actually believe you're lying to them. Mm. Um, I don't think people kind of go out of their way. I, from everything I've been told with Pepe, the financial situation changed because um, ownership were once again able to... Again, it comes down to the stadium loan and they sort of indicated that 
they will consider doing what they did this summer. Mm. Um, and they, I think actually they paid off some more of the stadium debt a little earlier, but didn't oh. need to announce it because it wasn't quite a significant an investment. I see. Um, so what that, and what that did was free up cash. Mm. which made Pepe more, more attainable. Because as you, as you guys know, you're across the finance and all this, Arsenal's big problem was they had this huge pool of cash, which is drying up really quickly now with COVID. Mm. But they had this big pool of cash that because of the, the stadium covenants, they couldn't touch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that ownership has done right over the last couple of years is kind of make that cash a bit more accessible. Mm. Um, and that, that's where Pepe comes from. We don't, the problem is we haven't yet seen it in Arsenal's accounts because even the accounts we have only go up to the Europa League final. But certainly in, um, actually it's not that long now, in a few months' time, mm-hmm. keep an eye out for what those accounts say for, for the, the 12 months leading up to yeah. the end of last season. I mean, they're going to be a mess. Of, the, those <laughs> accounts are going to be a real weird one anyway, but yeah. um, so many things to include in there. And I think there may be some stuff there about what the owners did. We shall see. Today's episode is brought to you by Clorox. When it counts, trust Clorox the same way we trust essential workers to provide the care they give to us. Families trust Clorox to give them a safe and protected home. Our community heroes trust Clorox to keep places like hospitals and grocery stores disinfected. So I know I too can trust Clorox to provide my home with a safe environment at home we can all enjoy. So I have a story for you, Amanda. Um, with Clorox, there's one thing I definitely use it for every single time before I step into my vanity van. Uh, I love the entire place disinfected because that's where I keep my makeup. Uh, that's where I get ready. That's where my clothes are. That's sometimes where I take a nap as well. So, you know, I can use it all over like time of need. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really, it just keeps everything super clean and I, I feel super safe. For me, it's important to share with loved ones and the public in general how they can give the most care for their loved ones, especially during times like these. I mean, with the pandemic going on, with COVID going on, it's just great to be extra sanitary with all the items that are around you, caring for others, and you know, just wiping down the door handle after you use the bathroom or wiping down so the So important. The toilet. So important. The toilet handle. Don't forget the toilet handle. (laughs) So remember, when When it counts, counts, trust Clorox. I've got a question around um, the accounts, perhaps, and the person that's um, quite important around this. And this person called Tim Lewis Mm there who's recently joined the Arsenal board. Have you asked questions around his involvement or what he he does? Or um, it'd be interesting to kind of see or understand what his role is. Um, And obviously, we're looking at Arsenal becoming way more streamlined as a business. And this is something Edu has done at uh, Brazil as well. So um, this is obviously a, a, a consolidated effort to, 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 to make Arsenal and the business this way. But it'd be interesting to see what his role is in particular. Um, I think when I, when I read up, I just Googled his name. He was, he was um, yeah, I think he's um, um, responsible for some takeovers and um, mergers and those kind of things. So um, he seems like a real senior person with a lot of experience, but it'd be good to understand your thoughts around him. Yeah, he was involved in takeovers, including the Cronkies takeover of Arsenal. Um, and that's kind of the reason he came on to the board. He's a non-executive director. Very important to say that. So it's, this isn't his day-to-day job. He works as a um, lawyer for Clifford Chance. And um, that is the bulk of his responsibility. But my understanding is when he came on board onto the board, he took a look through the books um, and asked questions, which is what you want from 
your non-exec, your directors, your board, you don't necessarily want them involved in the day-to-day -day running, but he asked an awful lot of questions about a lot of expenditure. Um, and obviously we've seen Arsenal answering some of those questions and- Like, like Pepe? <laughs> Arsenal, in, Arsenal insists there's been no investigation into Pepe yeah. and they insist that really forcefully. Mm. He will ask questions about, he has asked questions about everything. So he's asked questions about the state, how much is being spent on parts of the stadium, mm. um, how much is being spent on transfers. So, and inevitably you have to, if you're a responsible director, you have to ask questions about it. Yeah. But I think um, Arsenal are really insistent that that talk in the summer, that there was an investigation into Pepe is just not true. Mm. That's their, that's their really, really like, you know, they don't always push on things. They were really forceful on saying there's no investigation into Pepe, but that is what Arsenal will get from uh, Tim Lewis. He is an independent set of eyes. Ultimately though, one that, reports back to the Cronkies have put in place. Um, he's there to provide advice and counsel, not necessarily to help that much with the day-to-day -day running of the business. But um, I got to, I spoke briefly, I've spoken briefly with him before. He is a really fiercely, I mean, this is a very brief conversation, but I think even from then you can say he's a um, forceful, intelligent man. And I think he's a real depth of, I think that he is an Arsenal fan and there's a, a depth of feeling and goodwill. And I think he's going to be a force for good. And he certainly did kick up a few trees when he arrived. So, um, he sounds like my type of guy, to be honest. Yeah. I think the board needed that. It got, you know, even going back to Ivan Gazidis' days, Gazidis was of the opinion it was a bit old, a bit male, and they need to change that. And a bit um, unrepresentative of Arsenal, all of which I would say still needs to change, but at least having someone a bit younger, um, and a bit more, a bit, uh, well, just a fresh pair of eyes really helps. Um, I've got, I've got a couple of questions on sort of the, the current playing staff at Arsenal. Um, so uh, I think number one, uh, I think this will probably interest Leroy as well. He's been um, quite uh, agitated about some of the decisions that have been made around this player. Um, so William Saliba, um, it looks like he's going to be going on loan to the the championship. Um, and I think there were some, some stories that came out today saying, um, you know, Arteta thinks that he's not, not quite ready. He needs to stop diving into, into tackles and stuff. And I'm, and I'm not sure that I'm buying that personally, just because some of the statistics that came from France last year, that I think he was like top five in terms of, um, uh, tackle percentage, you know, uh, from all the clips that I've seen of him, he's never really going to ground diving into mm. into tackles and that kind of thing. He seems like a really, really good one-on-one um, -on -one defender. So it's very surprising for me to hear that that's the bit of his game that, you know, um, the manager thinks he needs to work on. So do you have any further insight as to, you know, what's going on there and why he's being sent out on, on loan? And so I think one of the reasons I, I had heard that he's not quite at the pace of the English game is a better way of maybe saying it than he dives into tackles. I think that is almost a part of when you train with players like Aubameyang, Saka, Pepe. It's a little bit of a step up compared to many, not all, but many of the opponents he was facing at Saint-Étienne. And then if you can't keep up with them or you, you know, you're worried they're going to outpace you, you might dive in. Um, I've, from what I've been told, Watford is one to keep an eye on, uh, not least because it would be really easy for them to keep an eye on him. 
because it's the training ground next door. Um, and someone has told, uh, someone suggested Norwich as well. I think they will be, that, that the extent that Arsenal go to on these loan deals is remarkable. Um, ben Napper goes into extreme detail, deep data and um, data analysis, clips, all that of the teams that come forward. Um, I'm sure you're all aware of what they did with Eddie and Ketia. They did the same with Emile Smith-Rowe. And they will whittle down a shortlist over the coming days. Um, I don't think they haven't whittled down that shortlist yet. So it'd be wrong for me to say there's any kind of clubs that are right there in the mix. Um, and it will be clubs that where Saliba will play regularly. Because I think there's also a view that if we're only going to play them in the Europa League games, and then, the, you know, we're not even going to play him in the Carabao because it's already the quarterfinals are now in December. He's got to play week in, week out. Um, and there will be really punitive clauses that mean that any club that does not pay, play Saliba really kind of bears the financial burden. It's worth pointing out on that, and this is something that wasn't reported with the Inketia stuff. Leeds paid a huge amount more to Arsenal to not play Enketia than they would have if he was starting every game. Mm. You can kind of see Leeds' logic to that was actually, we think Patrick, or Marcello Bielsa thinks Patrick Bamford is the striker that will get us into the Premier League. So what's a few hundred thousand, a million more to Arsenal for Enketia if we're then getting 80 million for going into the Premier League? So they're going to do their due diligence on this. I don't think it's any sort of, doubts about Saliba long-term. He's got all the attributes. He's got five years on his contract. Um, it's just, he's had, a, you know, it's kind of what Arteta said. He's had an injury-disrupted season. Um, and it's it's really important that they get this right. So they will, they will take their time. I think this might be one that kind of gets done late next week. See, this this is, um, as Dan said, this is one that's really bugged me. It's really, really oh. bugged me. Now, I can understand that you want him to play week in, week out. Um, and I can understand that, that um, they think he's not at the pace. But obviously, the, I think there's a lot of games this season. Um, I think as an investment in minutes, it, in my opinion, obviously I'm not in football, mm. but an investment in Saliba in minutes in a couple of Premier League games here and there, because you've got rather than a Mustafi who's leaving or a Socrates who's leaving um, or some, someone who's not going to be there long term, um, with the Carabao games, with the FA Cup starting up, with a very short fixture schedule, I feel that that's a better investment than putting it into someone else. Also, I just feel that with with Saliba, he's he signed a five year deal when he, when he came. Two of those years are going to be away. I do worry so about. So he's still got five. He's still got five. Are you are you sure? Pretty sure. Okay. Maybe the, the final one of them is an option, but it'd be oh, it might be an option. Okay, that that makes me a bit more comfortable because what I was thinking is. Obviously, because we have the Wesley Fofana's comments were a bit like, oh, the, the Wesley Fofana comments about Saliba, saying that, oh, I call him every week if he's not playing and I'm watching. It sounds like he wants to play. So mm. I worry about the soft factors. I think, oh, these, these, this club doesn't really rate me. This club doesn't really respect me, if that makes sense, because he's not the manager who signed him. And Wesley Fofana made that, made that comment. He said, oh, um, Mike Arteta is not the manager who signed him. So I, I, th- I was thinking if he had three years left in his deal when he comes back, one year in, you'll sign or sell time. And if he doesn't feel valued, doesn't feel respected, and he's been out for two years, you can think, is he going to re-sign? Is he really going to stay? 
And then that 30 million euro investment looks a bit silly, really, because yes. the idea you want to pay 30 million for a, uh, a player like that is you hope he's going to be 60, 70 million in, in X amount of time. So I don't know. I, I'm not really comfortable with it. I, I can see the logic. Um, but also, I think the championship is a really demanding league. Um, they play back-to-back-to-back games, especially in this current climate where the games are condensed and the season's condensed. So my thought is, if he has injury problems anyway, I would rather keep him at a club who are really invested in his welfare, yeah. who are really... And invest in him in terms of the minutes in, obviously, the Europa League, the Carabao, which is only one round, fair enough, the FA Cup, and some of the Premier League games, rather than putting him a Staffian, then than sending him out to a club who are absolutely scrapping to try and get either promotion or a playoff place, who really, are, they don't own. So they don't really have his, long interest, his long-term interest at heart. That's just, that's just my opinion on this. I completely agree. And I think if you look at every Arsenal loanee in the Championship of late, and Ketia, even Smith-Rowe, and Huddersfield loves Smith-Rowe, but it was a brutal schedule and push comes to shove. If you're either fighting to stay up because you go to League One, that is a huge loss financially, or you're fighting to go up, you know, the money is so important that you just don't give a damn about developing Arsenal's player for them. I would be really, you know, if I were um, Eddie, I would be really reluctant to loan out Saliba to the Championship. Really reluctant. Yeah. I've got the same considerations as as both of you, and I think. in general, I don't agree with the loan thing, but I can understand the rationale. And if you really believe that he needs to go on loan, then send him on loan. But I think the championship is a is a bit a bit, a bit of a tough gig, I believe. Um, I think the the playing style um, is very different to the Premier League as well. Um, so I don't quite think that it's as it's embedding into the style of how teams will play in the, in the Premier League tactically. Um, so it's it's just he's just going to be heading and volleying the game and the ball all game, um, and um, yeah, playing every every three days. Um, I mean, it'll probably be a tough test, and um, if he if he stays fit and make him more resilient, but I don't quite agree with it. Um, but I've seen some tweets as well, kind of kind of arguing that this is obviously an asset, and you um, you this asset is 19 years old at this moment in time, and. By the time he's 22, which is in three years' time, you want him to be, as Lira already said, like double the value. So um, managing this asset will probably be, um, be a priority um, rather than giving them some trust minutes every now and then um, this, this mm-hmm. season. So they're probably trying to, in a way, fast track him. Um, and, and this sounds weird because he's not playing. Uh, I think the fast track would be playing him in the first team. But in a way, the fast track is sending him out on a challenging loan by the, by the looks of things. So... Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a funny one to me because I feel like if this guy was actually an academy product, right, and was showing the same promise, and say he an academy product had been on at Saint Etienne last last season, played as well as he did um, at eighteen, uh, and was at seventeen the year before, I think as well when he made his first team debut, um, and then we were talking about sending him on loan to the championship, we probably wouldn't be as worried. Um, as we are kind of thing but I feel like it's because you've gone out and you've spent 30 million on him and the state of our defence I guess previously you you sort of anticipated that the guy was going to come in step in and be that sort of Virgil van Dijk like signing even though he is just 19 but I do feel I do echo these guys sentiments a lot but I think you know after 
your initial reaction of being sort of annoyed by the fact that he's not going to be playing this year, when you do rationalise it in your head, you can sort of get behind the decision as long as he is going to a side that plays football. So I think in like Norwich, I don't know if they kept their manager or not, but they have been trying to play a progressive style. They've just lost Ben Godfrey um, there. So Saliba might be a good fit um, for, uh, it, it to play to play in his in his stead, I think, um, in that side. And obviously, you know, Brentford play um, nice football as well. So I wouldn't be um, too against that. And I think um, one more question, I think, before we go into the listeners' questions that I have around um, current uh, playing staff as well. So obviously, Kieran Tierney, um, he's been tested positive, or he's not been tested. He's, he's played PlayStation socially distant away from someone else, Stuart Armstrong, who's uh, tested positive for COVID. And he's now isolating for um, 14 days, I believe. Um, so I, I think you put you put a story out on, on Football London about the situation there. Mm. So do you reckon it's likely that um, Tierney is going to be allowed to play um, against Man City um, or not? Oh. See, the thing is, I've never got any... I don't have any you know, with, with injuries, with pretty much everything else, there's a sort of past example you can fall back on. This is completely new. Um, having said that, I spoke to, um, I spoke to kind of people, both the football people and actually people working in um, public health. And the, the, the latter sort of said, well, it doesn't really seem like there's much of an issue for Tierney here. If he, he hasn't really done anything, if he hasn't done anything wrong, which he's really insistent he hasn't, he's passed, he's, I don't know, do you pass or fail a coronavirus test if you're negative? He was negative for three tests and he has antibodies. So, um, I mean, he's never, he's never shown symptoms, but he has the antibodies for COVID. He's re- and he was, you know, he's, he's convinced he was more than two metres away from Armstrong when they're playing games. I, I, I personally would, would, my personal opinion is that he will probably be made available in some way. And this is just something that the Premier League and SFA and everyone have to work out because they haven't worked it out yet. We had this a few months back with quarantining players that were joining Premier League clubs and, you know, the Premier League got to a stage where they could work through that and they managed to make that work so people weren't sat in a house in London for for two weeks. And I think we will get to that with Tierney because he's not going to be the only case, I'm sure. Whether it's this international break or the next or the next, you know, they're going to be... And it's just... He, Tierney's done nothing wrong. He's, um, as I say, he's he's been very careful. Um, he he has the antibodies. It would be really perverse to to not let him play. And they're working to work out what the right thing is, um, and for him to be available. The work's been done. I don't know, but certainly Arsenal are trying to get him available for that Man City game, and it would be so massive, so important to have him. I have to say. Yeah, I've got a follow-up question on this because, as you mentioned, um, the FA or any other footballing governing bodies will kind of have to work out the the parameters here. But what is the um, elite sports bubble? What do you know? Have you got any insights into some of the rules? Because it's like it's like this 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 big massive thing that we don't have a clue about, and then um, somehow players can then sometimes not self-isolate. Sometimes they do have to. Um, it's not quite clear. For example, when Tobias came back, I think, um, and even Gabriel they very quickly could stop training with um, Arsenal, whereas um, in other cases we don't see they have to um, they have to self isolate. So it's a bit it's even ambiguous for us. So if you have any insight, it would be would be good to to find out. Yeah, this one's complicated to explain. 
Um, but in effect, um, players like Ceballos, because they'd been with Real Madrid um, and Arsenal previously, had been effectively in bubble environments. Um, these obviously aren't quite the same level as like, if you guys follow the NBA, that bubble is completely shut down. But because they'd been tested regularly, because they'd... Um, you know, because they're, they're limiting social contact and there were so many efforts put in at the training ground, um, subject to them receiving a negative test um, when they arrived, they could be allowed to um, avoid the quarantine regulations. That wasn't initially the, the case. Um, when Gabrielle signed, he did have to quarantine for, um, I think it was 10 days in the end. Uh, he was in quarantine, but then obviously it became a kind of apparent that there needed to be a workaround around this. And um, Sabios was one example of that, but uh, obviously it's kind of often it, this comes down to not just like the, what the SFA wants, but what the Scottish government wants. And obviously very notable over the last few weeks, they've been really assertive, even compared to the English government in terms of how they manage COVID that's why Tierney has to isolate for 14 days because that's just the Scottish government regulations and Arsenal are trying to work out what the right steps are because these are all issues that clubs and countries and governments are coming up against for the first time and you kind of need to be smart about it and there's ultimately there's no real value in Kieran Tierney locking himself away for 14 days when you can be pretty certain he won't get it. I appreciate that's not a, a great explanation, but <laughs> I'm not a doctor in the Premier League, so it's it's quite a hard one to get across. But basically, if you're with a club, you can kind of get around some of these regulations. So, say someone like Cavani as well, who wasn't, who, who was out of contract. He does have to quarantine now that he's come over from France because he's not been part of that bubble. So I think he misses United's first game after the international break for that reason. And I, and I guess it must be quite difficult entering a bubble. So um, whether it be a player or staff, in order to be part of the bubble, you would have to adhere to certain rules and certain certain things that the um, regulations are. Um, I guess it's quite exclusive. Yes, these things are so stringent. Um, only even like with Arsenal staff, it used to be obviously, you know, you go to Colney fairly regularly, but they're very careful now about who goes in when for how long and who they see, it's a lot more organised. Obviously, you know, these things will, will open and close a little bit as COVID cases change, but um, it's it's remarkable. And there was a lot of talk a few weeks ago about why the Premier League was able to carry on when there were the cases at West Ham and Liverpool. Well, the environment's just so different. They're on top of testing, they're on top of um, track and tracing, they're, you know, the, the contacts their players have been with that you know they have they have made the bubbles work actually the challenge we've got now is that players are going out of their club bubbles and intermingling with other bubbles it's, just, it's really odd You're getting caught on camera yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that, that as well um, but even just kind of doing training with this, these players that you kind of are from have come from other cities is not ideal um, the international games they kind of have to go ahead but we're going to get another, well my personal opinion is it we're going to get more cases com- coming back from the international break I would suspect we begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way so pick up your McCafe iced coffees close your eyes and deep sip in 
And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Um, I do want to touch on Tierney. Now, I have to give a disclosure. This is my personal opinion, so this is nothing, nothing official. Um, from, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, I want to see him play. I want to see him play. If I was looking at that from an objective medical standpoint, I don't think he should play. Mm. And the reason I don't think he should play is, okay, he said he was socially distant when they were playing PlayStation together, right? So we, we all have PlayStations in the house, or well, most of us probably do. Um, depending on how big your TV is, depending on um, how far you are away, it's very difficult to be two metres away mm. um, when you're playing. If you're playing FIFA with somebody, to be able to see the TV well, so I'm not sure how, how far he was away he's going to be. Now, obviously, if a match lasts a significant amount of time now. The, the big thing about COVID is um, it, that it's, uh, it is in droplets. It's in droplets that you breathe out, etc. So it's about the time that you spend. So if you're constantly breathing in and out droplets, if you're in a room for, say, half an hour, so you had, say, two, three mm. games of fever, that is a significant exposure, in my opinion. I don't think you can get around that in any way. Now, he does have antibodies for the virus and um, he hasn't displayed any symptoms. So, obviously, antibodies do not automatically confer immunity. That's really important. Um, so, there is some current evidence that's coming out saying that the severity of the illness, so your symptoms, etc., the higher level of the immunity you have in terms of your antibody titers. So, that's one thing. Uh, and another thing is that um, we're not sure if antibodies yet will confer immunity in COVID. There's no evidence that says that that's actually the case. There are a few cases of reinfection, but we're not sure if they're false negatives or reinfection at all. So if you're looking at it from a purely objective standpoint, I don't think they should let him play. And he should have to isolate for two weeks because the negative tests are completely irrelevant because they would be negative because of the incubation period so they're going to be negative through the incubation period and only when you build up the levels of the virus in terms of the viral load will the, the test be positive um for, to, enough to be detected on pcr at least which is the test that they use so it, i just don't think you should play unfortunately from that perspective I I think you're probably right because you don't you there's also this risk isn't there of setting a precedent if you sort of say well we fudged it for tyranny yeah. And the, ne the next club will sort of say, and Tierney says, he, yeah, I think they measured it and they think it was 2.8 metres away. But there's, there's always things we don't know. Hmm. And then, you know, the next club says, well, if it was okay for Kieran Tierney, who was 2.8 metres away, our player was two point, thinks he was 2.1 metres away. So hmm. it's kind of, I kind of agree. Yeah, it's just too, it's, 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 it's a mind-blowing, man. It's a mind -blowing. And the thing is, you also have to think about, I mean, I know the Premier League don't have to think about this, but if the, the rule makers that be have to think about things about the general public, so oh, if football players can get away with doing that and this was quarantine is not, then what about us kind of thing? So it's, it, it's a difficult situation. But um, if you just, if I was looking at it from a, from a medical standpoint, I'd think mm, probably leave it. But I'd love to see him play anyway, personally. So, yeah. <laughs> Right, um, now let's move on to some uh, listeners' questions. Um, I'll start with the patron. Um, shout out to patron uh, subscribers uh, again. And James, this is a, a personal one for you. I'll start with this, a bit of a joke one. Um, 
you you recently tweeted uh, that Burner Boy album is some very good music. So Chris Dede um, is interested to know what's your favourite song on a new Burner Boy <laughs> album. Right, I need to get I need to get this up because I'm one of the worst people for remembering. I know what it isn't. I know what it absolutely isn't because it almost ruined the album for me. Was that one with Ed Sheeran? Just a moment. Sorry, this is you got good taste, obviously. If you like, Burner. yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to think where I, how did I got, who did he feature? I can't remember what, what his feature was that really got me into him. Um, Georgia Smith, maybe? Yes. I really love Georgia Smith as well. <laughs> I would say, um, oh my God, from this album, I really like Time Flies. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Um, I'm still, I still, I still, um, I still haven't listened to it that much compared to, I'm still going back to the African Giant album because I actually think that's one of the best albums released in the last decade. And yes. It's oh. <laughs> just one of my favourite tracks in years. So I listened to it about three times the week it came out and basically haven't listened to it since, which is dreadful of me. Um, but uh, yeah, still, still hitting African Giant hard is fantastic. Nice, nice one. Um, and that guy, Daryl, asks, um, how do you think the team will shape up, as in the formation and starting lineups for the rest of the season with the new additions that we've made this year? Mm, I still quite, haven't quite worked this out. Uh, I think it will be a sort of 4-3-3 with Xhaka and Partey sitting. I, ju- I just don't see how you can have Xhaka sitting on his own. I think we saw, like, Eve, you know, back in um, Emery's second season, we just saw it's, it's just not mobile enough. So I think Xhaka and Partey sit, Ceballos further forward, but even then I just sort of think there's still that huge gap. Um, but I do think he'll go to the back four. From what I've been told, that's what he'd like to do. Um, and then we'll sort of rely on Xhaka maybe dropping back as, as a left-sided centre-back again, go back to that plan. Um, yeah, that's more 4-3-3 than 4-2-3-1. Uh, they're missing that 10 still. I don't want to bring up um, the, the, the current number 10, um, but they are missing a, a real creator from higher up the pitch. So I, but I think 4-3-3 three, three with, with the, those three. Mm. Mm. Leroy and Dan? So for me, I mean, there's hope and then there is what I think. Now, I find Arteta quite difficult to predict. Mm. And I found Arsenal really interesting tactically because... I think like the formation is literally just a number for him because he makes so many different changes in games that I actually find it hard to follow. <laughs> so I'm like, what's changed here? And I'm trying to work it out all the time. Um, and he's constantly responding to what the other team does, which is a good thing, obviously. But what I do see him making the evolution to a back four. So like I said, I feel that at the moment we're playing a back three in possession and uh, a back three when we're sort of out of possession, sorry, and a back four, we have our left wing back, which is either Sacramento and Niles, who comes in to make an auxiliary left midfielder. Um, and then we play a back four with Tini actually going pretty wide. Um, so I feel like we're going to continue with that for, for the short term. And I think we're just going to be party inside now I think it will depend on the game I think he's going to have in that 3-4-3 three, three, he's going to have party next to Shaka in certain games and he's going to have party next to Tobias in certain games but I think party will end up being the mainstay to be honest with you I do see that the evolution of the team going in a different way so I do see it going in a 4-3-3 he's used Saka as that auxiliary left sort of midfield left wing back I think when he said he had ideas about Saka I think that left 
midfield space might be where he wants to try and develop him because I feel like he'll be very good there. Um, he was in the last game against Sheffield United, which was interesting. That's the first time I've seen him use William. In um, he was interchanging Saka and William in those positions. So William was sometimes in that left midfield half space, and Shaq was out wide. So I think that would be interesting if we have William in that space. Um, I think we'll be quite tactically flexible. I feel what we mix between that dual system three four three or a four two three one because I do think he will have a double pivot because. I don't think putting party in a single pivot is very wise with our midfield because it limits him a little bit and he probably wants to use his dribbling ability, his ability to drive forward and not really just put him in a box, essentially. But long-term, I think the evolution will be to 4-3-3. Um, and I do feel like we're actually going to be using Shaka, or not Shaka, Saka or Willian in that left centre mid position. Yeah. Um, and I think Danny Sabahs would be the right eight and I think party will be in the centre. I think long-term, that's probably going to be the evolution. But um, I don't think he's going to change very much at the moment because one thing I've, we have noticed about Arteta is he's not one for dramatic change. He does things relatively methodically, relatively slowly. So um, that's what I think will go over time. Mm. Dan? Yeah, I kind of agree with that. And um, I think um, a lot of fans um, met, a lot of fans met with enthusiasm seeing Aubameyang play for the middle um, last game. But I think... This is not something that I will um, implement immediately um, into the next game. Aubameyang, I'm expecting Aubameyang to play on the left wing and, and, and the way we play at the moment again and have Eddie or Lacazette go through the middle and then slowly um, introduce perhaps him playing through the middle. Um, I think it's absolutely crucial. I, I share a lot of the thoughts that Leroy has, um, has raised and um, but, but I think it's absolutely crucial for the lack of creativity we have at the moment to have Saka playing on the pitch. And also have Sabayas playing. I think they are um, two most creative players that I, I utilise um, currently. And then I think Bullian can make he can make a contribution. Um, I've not been happy with him so far, but um, given him playing in that in that left in that left sort of half space, um, he, he can make a contribution. I believe, and he can he can facilitate our play being better overall. Um, but as you, as you as you said yourself, James, really need to um, need to acquire some creative players to to kind of complement the vision that we have for Arsenal Football Club uh, as a whole. And I'm sure Arteta shares this vision as well. Um, I, of course, you might have seen this as well. People talking about him being very pragmatic, and um, I, I view this as a good thing. He he um, he tests things and then implements them. Um, and um, not something that Emery did. Emery would just implement things, didn't test them. And uh, it would be a car crash. But um, I felt I I tell it as very methodical, very meticulous. And I expect it to be a, a slower transition into 4-3-3. And um, once he has all the pieces, which we still don't quite have yet. But once we have all the pieces, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be a team that plays 4-3-3. Um, but for the next couple of games, I'm guessing he's going to stick to what he's been doing. Um, Jacques in the dual role, um, ideally for me, um, and then Partey um, um, playing in the midfield with either Jacques or Sabias, depending on the game. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I personally, I'll echo all of those thoughts, and I think um, the really uh, key thing that you said there, Dan, is is getting the creative players on the pitch at the same time. I think in in the four games that we played so far, um, I think our best sort of creative moments came when. Um, it was Willian, Pepe, Ceballos and Saka were all on the pitch together and um, Aubameyang was playing down the middle. And so you saw those combinations and those quick quick passes happen um, for about 10 minutes until uh, Xhaka got uh, subbed on for, for Ceballos. So, um, and, then, and then Sheffield United grew into the game again. So um, I think getting those four players onto the pitch um, at the same time and um, 
Aubameyang down the middle will be will be key for us um, scoring lots of goals this this year. Um, moving on to another question. So, so James, you actually touched on um, this very briefly um, when you said that Arsenal, you know, spoke to Atletico Madrid about. Um, potential swaps, right? And Lacazette being touted um, as one of those swaps. So, who do you do? Uh, so, I think it's 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 probably clear that the club is sort of planning some sort of future without um, Lacazette being in in the team. Um, if that is the case, um, who do you see as potential sort of long term? Um, replacements for him because I think uh, some names came out this summer about Odson, Edward, um, Patson, Daka, um, and then um, you know uh, Daniel Marlon as well, someone who we've had on the books uh, in the past. Yeah, this is a really so I, I mean I'd, I'd heard Daka and um, Edward as targets, but I always think I, I certainly think that Arsenal. I don't get the sense that Arsenal quite have worked out what the plan is with centre-forwards just yet, partly because Lacazette is still good enough and um, he may be good enough in two or three years. It all depends on what you want to achieve and where you're at. Um, and I'm, you know, it's a really hard one to get your head around. And equally, they kind of need to understand just how good is Eddie Nketiah and what is his what is his role at a team like Arsenal, if a team like Arsenal are competing at the top level? Because for all that he's playing regularly, I think there are still sort of questions to be asked about his ability to do more than put the ball in the net, which is so important, but it can't be the be-all and end-all for a striker. And I think they're still working that out. And, you know, in an ideal world, the successor to Lacazette is, is Nketiah. Don't forget as well that Long-term, you're looking at him and um, Tyrese John-Jules, who they think really highly of, as both sort of competing for that successor spot, although I'm sure they would have to sign someone as well because they're both so young. Um, it's interesting that they've not opened talks with Lacazette at all, which suggests that they are not, as you say, not desperate to keep him. Um, but I think they're not not afraid of letting him run into the final year of his contract. And the other thing I'd say is that the players that they were looking at, you could also say, see were not quite players that you would feel immediately could be thrown in as the Lacazette successor. And one of the things I wonder is whether you would, if you were to sign someone like um, Edouard next summer, would you say give Lacazette another year if he would sign that? Um, another year or two to preserve his value and then you sell him on when you feel Edouard is ready to step into the fray because I don't Arsenal's real challenge is that they can't really afford a a world a top class number nine from one of Europe's top five leagues at the moment might all change if they get back into the Champions League Um, so they kind of have to be looking at the players that could become a top five forward so the other name that they looked at was Jonathan David He's now gone to Lille and, and maybe if he's really good, they'll, they'll look at him again. But his price tag presumably then goes from 20 to 70, same price you pay for Pepe. So <laughs> this is a really long-winded way of saying, I don't know. Yeah, um, no. But uh, it's interesting. It's definitely one that they're, they're, they're properly across and they're properly keeping an eye on. But, you know, I still look at Lacazette and think he could, he could be a Firmino in a team... That obviously not a team that's good as, as, as good as Liverpool, but could do that role for another two years. 
um, as a creator, presser, scorer of a few goals, misser of a few simple chances. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know anyone that's really got a handle on Arsenal's striker issue, and it feels a bit like it's holding them back. But mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you could still see Arsenal finishing top four with Lacazette, but you just couldn't see them easing into the top four and it all being comfortable. Mm. I see. I I agree with you that basically it's a bit unknown. Um, and the, I think the decision that we have to make is as the team evolves to a different type of team. Are we going to be able to play a Bamiang up front or are we going to stick with the Lacazette and Eddie type of striker? That's the first question I think that we need to answer because if we're going to continue with Bamiang as being our primary goal scorer on the left, then I think we need to get a replacement in. I think a, a, an intelligent club thinks Lacazette's 29, he's on high wages, etc. We haven't got that much money. We try and sell him for as much as we can or what we can get and we bring in a younger version to compete with Eddie and Ketia. Because you've also got to think, you've got obviously Tari's John Jules, who's good technically and who could also fulfil that type of role, but he's very, very young. But then you've got Martinelli, who's the Aubameyang type, who is the not very good with his back to goal technically, but is a very good goal scorer, electric, etc. So it, we need to think about what profile of nine that Arteta wants to go with long term. Um, I'm hoping, and this is more hope than anything, that what we saw against Sheffield United when we were chasing the goal is the long-term evolution. As we can start to push the team up the pitch with a Thomas Party in a better midfield that can sustain possession, that we don't really need the Lacazette type of striker anymore and that we look for the Aubameyang type striker in a similar way to Leicester use Jamie Vardy. I'm hoping that's the evolution and then we can start thinking about different types of strikers and then our big purchase in attack will actually probably be a left midfielder and someone who's really, really good off the left. So, yeah, it's all a bit up in the air, really. I I would like to see Lacazette replaced. Um, I would like to... I think we we can upgrade on him. I think um, we can get someone who's a little bit more athletic, um, who's got a little bit more about him, can occupy defenders a bit more. Um, uh, If we're going to have that striker who is a more traditional nine or plays with his back to goal as such. But for me, for what I'd like to see, I'd like to see a lot of movement and interchange up front. I, I do hope we go the other direction and that we actually over the course of the season and into next season, move a Bamiang up front. And if we move a Bamiang up front, then we've got the Martinelli type striker, see how Eddie develops. Um, and then we may not, depending on how that goes and depending on how Bamiang's, how long his legs go and how long he can keep up this level of performance for, depends on how we need to reinvest to actually upgrade that position. You know what, to, to add to that, I, I really, I really think... Um... So the Obama, I think I definitely think we should be moving them into centre forward um, at least from the summer onwards. I don't know what our test plan are for this season from from the summer onwards when we add more creativity and become better and uh, keeping the ball in the final third and really suppressing teams and basically choking them to death. Um, we need Obama and moving in around the box because he's absolutely lethal. We all know that. But um, going forward, I think. Um, Maybe this, the Lacazette successor needs to be a mobile target, man. I, I really feel like this is the type of striker that nowadays is is becoming um, to the forefront, like a, a, a DCL, um, Carvert-Lewin kind of striker, um, uh, a striker like Patson Daka, I think kind of fits that mould. He's a nuisance, um, physically, um, absolutely ridiculous physically, um, and um, he really stretches defences. And um, it's type of, this is the type of forward that, um, Adeboyo was when he was good for that one season and um, that striker can be absolutely devastating and I think Arsenal have lacked physicality for so long defensively in midfield and up front it's about time that we get physicality in all parts of the pitch 
in the middle, at the back, up front, and um, really, really stress teams. We need to start stressing teams because um, they've been stressing us for way too long. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want that type of striker. Got be Calvert Lewin. I love him. He's so versatile. The drip. It, it Thank you very much. He's got the drip. He does have the drip, but honestly, you are never getting him out of Everton in a million years. Not in a million years. For the type of money Arsenal can pay anyway. You'd have to refinance the fee. Dan picking up the phone to Usmanov as well. No, I think we might have to go up. We might have to get Ralston Lay back for that deal and we might get that over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love him. I'd love him. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, if, if, if Calvert-Lewin can keep up his goal-scoring um, uh, attitude that he's shown so far this season, then, yeah, I'd be all for that. I, I, all for that move. I just, I, I just never see you getting him out of Everton for the price. Um, yeah. If you're going to go for anyone, you'd want to probably watch how Ollie Watkins develops because he's a very similar profile to Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, good Probably mm. be attainable to Arsenal rather than a Calvert-Lewin who is just it's not happening because Everton are too close to us in the league and they don't really want for any money. So. Calvert-Lewin would be amazing, but yeah, as you said, I, I don't think we can get him out of Everton. Um, it's Fort Knox right now, and they've got money as well. Yeah, so um, I think that was all the listeners' questions that we had for today. So, um, James, thank you very much again for coming on the podcast. Um, we really appreciate it, and we'd love to get you back on again in the future. Um, and everyone who is listening, thank you for listening uh, for, to this episode. Uh, if you are still there, please make sure um, you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go give us a follow, Touchy Gooners, on Instagram, on Twitter. Show us some love. Make sure you share the, the podcast with your mates. Let's get those listens up. Um, and if you haven't signed up to the Patreon, please make sure you go sign up to that. We've got lots of um, exclusive content coming straight to straight to patrons um, over the course of this season. So, um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, and we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Baby, welcome to the party. I'm off the Myers in the lead. That's why I'm over retarded. That's why I'm over retarded. Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around it. Baby, welcome to the party. Pick some of that. Give me lit. Got no money. One in the head. Send in the clip. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com terms for more details. Sports Social Podcast Network.